Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a recommendation from our mysterious listener, Sam. Sam writes, a little while back, I requested that you do an episode covering Tanglefoot from Quiet, Please. I've been racking my brain trying to figure out why you haven't featured it yet. And then it hit me. The reason you guys won't listen to Tanglefoot is because you're scared. I completely understand. It's a very scary episode and it's not for the faint of heart. Perhaps you would rather feature an episode of Fibber McGee and Molly or The Cinnamon Bear. Well, thank you for the intervention, Sam. You're right. It's time to confront our fears and listen to Tanglefoot. Quiet, Please was the brainchild of radio and screenwriter Willis Cooper, creator of another iconic radio series, Lights Out. Quiet, Please debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting Network on June 8, 1947. In September 1948, the series switched to ABC and remained there until its final broadcast on June 25, 1949. Every Quiet, Please story was told in the first person by actor Ernest Chappell. Cooper's scripts utilized Chapel's everyman voice, a natural gift for storytelling, to create a sense of intimacy between performer and listener. And now let's listen to Tanglefoot from Quiet, Please. First broadcast June 4th, 1949. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. The American Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, please, for tonight is called Tanglefoot. Back in the old days when GI didn't mean general issue, it just meant galvanized iron. I used to be a plumber. There are no cracks about leaving tools in the shop when you go out on a job. Because if a plumber took along all the tools he's liable to need on a job he don't know nothing about till he gets there, he'd need one of those moving vans to tote them. Just the same, what you can do with a 14-inch Stilson wrench and a mitt full of opium, you'd be surprised at. This place where I work, well, you ever smell a plumbing shop? And I tell you what you smell. Oakum first thing, like creosote. That's what you start with. Linseed oil, that's in the red lead you use on the joints and stuff. Smell a hot lead where the kids melting down scrap lead into little pigs you can put in your bag. Galvanized iron. Yeah, 
Yeah, sure. You can smell galvanized iron. Go find the gins where they keep the L's and the T's and the street L's and the Cuptons and the unions. All sizes. And 40 team sizes. You can smell galvanized iron, all right. The owner can smell a rat that lived back behind the bins. Gasoline burning and the blowtorches and the furnaces. And the thing I remember best of all, the smell of the flypaper. My heavens, there seemed to be flypaper every place. I don't know, maybe in the old days there was more of it or there was more flies or something. Seemed like every place you went, you run into flypaper. Remember that smell? Like varnished with sugar in it? Like taffy that got spoiled? Kind of a fascinating smell in a sicky way. Think about it and you kind of think, yeah, no wonder the flies liked this smell and went for it. Smell? Sure flies can smell. They got smellers that'll make a bloodhound jealous if you know it. And flies got lots of things. Yeah, you got a jillion eyes, six fancy legs, wings, and a trunk like an elephant. Only littler, the Bosques they call it. Huh? Ah, not the flies. They can't talk. Boy, how do you break it? I know a lot about flies. I'll tell you about it. I can see it today. There was people living upstairs above the Clement Chapel I worked. That was in the summer of 1915, I guess. Uh, quite a while ago. Their back porch hung over the back porch of the shop. Uh, uh, made kind of a shed where we used to thread pipe, melt up scrap lead, stuff like that. And Ricketts, the horse, used to be tied up back there in the alley with a wagon. When he was working back there, it was quiet and shady and hot. All you could hear was Ricketts stamping his feet and switching his tail at the flies. And maybe the of a gasoline furnace. And whoever he was working with talking kind of lazy and slow in the heat. Oh, boy, was it hot. I and Herbie, we was threading three-quarter-inch black iron pipe. You want the boat excursion tonight, Buck? Yeah, what boat excursion? Crawfish Club. From the Percy Swing tonight. No, I thought it was tomorrow. Well, tonight. Yeah, that's good enough. Get another length of pipe. Hot, ain't it? Ninety-one, the officer says. In the shade. Hot for old out there in the sun. His head's in the shade. What's he hollering about? Flies, I guess. You should put the fly netting on him. Yeah. Look out, don't step in the fly paper. Fly paper every place. That bird chin Katie's nuts about fly paper. Gone stuff. It's all over the place. That's where you're throwing it. You thread up the pipe. I'll take care of the fly paper. You think with all that stuff around, there wouldn't be so many flies? Flies are smart. How do you mean? Smart. Well, that fly paper. Fly paper's always full of them. And them's the dumb flies. Smart ones look at it and smell it and fly away. Land on people, horses. Take a bite. They'll live longer. I wonder how long flies live. Yeah, I don't know. Too long. Any more length of pipe we ain't threaded? Mm-hmm. Here. I wonder what science think about. Eating? That's what I'm thinking about. The time is 
fancy new wristwatch of yours. Busted. Pretty near noon. Gonna go home, do you? Go with me? I wasn't happy. Heck, you wasn't. Well, <laughs> no flies on you, Papa. Oh, well. I'll make some ice cream she left for me. Your mom home? No, she went up to Peoria's this morning. T.A. Bedmer's got a sale or something. Well, I could stop at Ruins and get some boiled ham or something. We could make sandwiches. Oh, we got some. Oh, I could get something there. We'll eat them off you. Yeah. It's 12 o'clock. Okay. <laughs> Feed them people, I guess. 
Fly just up and kill poor old Teddy. But maybe Teddy was scared to death by the fly first. Because nobody in the whole great big wide world ever seen a fly that was eight, nine inches long. Nobody but first Herbie and then Teddy. 
afterwards. Me. I ain't found him yet. Maybe he got froze to death. Kind of scares me, Buck. Found it you. He comes after me. I'll bat him on the head. He'll come flying up to you. Come flying up. You won't even see his wings. You know how flies' wings is. You can see through them. Maybe he's froze to death. Flies can't stand cold weather. They die. They don't always die. Sometimes they go into, what is it, a coma? When they get warm, they come to again. And then they're hungry. Well, I think he's dead. Because we ain't heard about anybody croaking, you know, with a, with a mystery. Not since Teddy... Hey, I can still see that dog. Try not thinking about Teddy. Maybe you ought to leave some fly paper around. Big hunks of fly paper. I got fly paper all around the cold bin there where he was. Heavy enough? Oh, it don't have to be so heavy. He lands on a hunk of tangle footed. It'll get all stuck to the hair and hair. Hair on his legs. Flies got hair on their legs. Real hair? More like bristles, like spikes, kind of. He gets fly paper stuck in his legs, his wings. He ain't gonna go skidding around much. Maybe he's dead. Sure hope not. Hope not? Well, I, I kind of liked him. Till he ate up Teddy. I'd be just as satisfied to find him get to see him. It must be quite a sight, though. Like looking at a fly through a magnifying glass. Sure glad he only got to be eight, nine inches long. Oh, I hate to lose him. I could put him in a circus or, or a sideshow or something. Make a jillion dollars. Take him up to Chicago. People would come from miles and miles around. Yeah. To a zoo just about. Or a museum like that one where is it, New York? Yeah, he was quite a thing. He used to eat mice. I went and caught mice and, and let him have him. Honestly, see what he'd do to a dead mouse. Oh, thank you kindly. I've seen what he'd done to Teddy. How'd you get him so big, Herbie? Huh? Secret, Buck. And so? I bet if he'd lay an egg. The egg would be bigger. I mean, the pup would be bigger than he was. Slide egg. Bigger than a hen's egg it'd be. Bigger than maybe a turkey egg. Maybe he's dead. Yeah. yeah he comes after me, I'm going to shoot him. My old 12 Ah, you yet. couldn't hit a balloon with a bull fiddle. You get him all right. Hello, Louise. How do you do? Who's that, Buck? I don't know. Just moved to town from someplace in Ohio, Iowa, someplace. Louise. Louise McGinty, McKinley, McKinney, something like that. Where'd you know her? Met her at Empire Hall, that dance the other night. What dance? Social Athletic Club. Uh huh. Well, night. See you at the shop in the morning. So long. The cold, ain't it? Yeah, gonna snow. Feels like snow. More busted water pipes. Yeah. Uh, so long, Buck. Say that, uh, at Louise, what's your name? That's something, ain't it? Yeah, I feel like that there type. I like it. Say, uh, Herbie. What? Listen. What? Listen, that... That great big fly of yours. Yeah? On the level now. Is there a great big fly? Huh? Couldn't you just be... Well, I just thought about it all of a sudden. I've never seen this here fly. 
Mean you think I'm just fooling? I was wondering. I was just making it up. Was you? No. I wasn't making it up. I just wondered. Listen, Buck. I never made that up. Listen, I wish there was. I wish I'd never started making flies grow big. I would have stopped when I got one this big. I wish... I don't know whether to believe you or not. Listen, Buck, when I think what that there fly... Remember way back last summer when we first talked about it? You said, what would you feed a great big fly? Yeah. Remember what you said? What? You said people. People, you said. That's what you'd feed them. Oh. Oh, yeah. Listen, Buck, he already had a dog that we know about. What if he... If he isn't dead by now and all is cold, he must be... Must be what? Hungry. Third of December, 1915. Yeah, seven, six, five, four, three, the third, the night Herbie and me talked like I told you. I remember because on the seventh, the Boy Scouts had a movie at the Capitol Theater. It used to be the Standard Theater. And there was a kid with a bugle blowing it out front. That was the seventh. That was the night Bert Kincaid phoned me up from the shop and Mayor Watson came over from kind of next door and told me Bert was calling me. And I were, Bert, uh, he said, you and Herbie Butterworth go right away to these people, these McKinney's or McKinney's or McKinney's, whichever it was, because their friend or something was wrong with it and they was hot and they was freezing. And I should go right on over and Herbie would meet me there. He was already on the way with the rickets and the wagon and the tools. So I said, all right, and I went home and put on my overshoes and my army sweater, and I'm over there. See, the place is only two doors away from where Herbie lived, there by the Garfield School. And that's why he was there already, see? I never even bothered to knock on the door. I just went around to the cellar door with my Coleman lantern, and I come on down, and Herbie was there already, sitting on the cellar steps, so I just about fell over him, and not looking very happy. Say, I said, I thought there was freezing it up here in this house with a busted furnace that's not cold down here. It's warm, I said. I fixed it. Huh? I fixed the furnace. The valve was corroded, and I put a new one on, and I fired up. It's all right. Well, what you sitting on the cellar stairs for, then, if it's all fixed? What you sitting around here for? Well, I... Why are you looking so crabby about it? Anybody ought to be crabby, it's me. I walked halfway across town. I'm about... What you so crabby about? Huh? She's down here. Who? Louise, you know, the McKinley gal, or whatever her name is. Where? <laughs> oh. And that's why I ain't welcome to his company. Three Shut up. Can <laughs> make some time, huh? Shut up, she'll hear you. Where is she? I went back there in the preserve closet. What for? Gonna bring you a jar of apple butter? The old man makes elderberry wine. <laughs> Got some bottles back there he bought from Ohio or Iowa or whatever it is. Three years old. I sure like elderberry wine. I know it. Well, I tell you, Herbie, I'm a good guy. I'm your friend, Herbie. Seeing you got everything fixed up, I'll beat it. You don't have to go. I never stood in the guy's way, Herbie. I'll go out into the cold and the snow. Ain't no I'll snow. go right home and read B.C. Allensworth's editorials in the Times, and I'll leave the coast clear for you. You don't have to do that, Buck. Just as soon as I have one drink of elderberry wine. Hmm. Know there was a catch in it. <laughs> now I'll go right away, honest, Herbie. <laughs> hey. You've been telling her about giant flies and things had it out. That thing's dead. 
guess if it ever was alive. You got the makings? Uh, got some tailor-made. Need those? Yeah, much obliged. Ain't you smoking? Nah. What you doing, making that wine? Well, a man probably hit it for herself. You give her a good smacking if you find she's smoking. <laughs> well, we give you a good smacking, too, hmm? Why don't you yell at her? The folks will hear upstairs. Louise, shut up. <laughs> hey, Louise, shut up, Buck. Come on, let's go help her, Nix. Louise, you want some help? The people will hear you. In here? Hey, Louise. I thought maybe you needed some... Louise? Ever seen. 
Here, Louise, we call him Louise. Look at them eyes. Jillian's up. <laughs> Look. He unrolls his truck. Ain't that cute? <laughs> nice, clean face. See the sharp bristles on his legs? Biggest fly in the world. Bigger than a college. Bigger than a Shetland pony, I bet. And hungrier, too. Come on, Louise. Wake up. He's a wake up. Uh-huh. Okay, Herbie? Okay. Go on in. No, you I'm talking to. You, he says. Go on in. Go on in. Louise is hungry. That's <laughs> matter? Can't move your feet? Sure. You're stuck in something? <laughs> used to call that stuff fly paper. We got a different name for it now. Yeah, no use trying to get loose. You're stuck for good. And Louise is hungry. Only heard a minute, that's all. Careful, Louise, honey. Don't get your feet stuck in the man paper. Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request coming to us from our Patreon, Sam, who dared us to listen to <laughs> Tanglefoot, who said we were terrified to listen to it. And now we have. So there, Sam. And thank you for being a Patreon. Uh, I got to start this conversation with this. There are certain frequencies and things in this world right now that are really hard on me to hear because of actual hearing loss not yes. not some emotional issue no it's <laughs> emotional <laughs> I'm know, just like, feeling very old right now for some reason I have a hard time hearing things like feedback <laughs> <laughs> for some reason I don't hear my wife anymore she's on a frequency so there are two versions of this online and one of them is a noise reduction version, one isn't. I tried them both. I actually had to download this into my audio software editing program and go EQ all over the place, trying to figure out a sweet spot where I can understand what they were saying, right? And then I found out, oh, it was good for a while, and then something would change. So I had to keep 
shifting the EQ, had my finger on just moving it around highs and lows so I could hear. It made it for very difficult listening for me. The reason I say it is just so you know, I made it through, but there may be some things I missed. So, um, what happened? <laughs> no, I got the general uh, gist. Of, I feel like it got better as it went. Yeah. I, I struggled some, and then either I just acclimated to it, or it, in fact, got easier to, right. to listen to. The one we're listening to in this podcast, the one listeners have just heard, is the non-noise-reduced version that is floating around there, because I think I would rather hear crackle and get more clarity in the voices than no background crackle and distorted voices. So I found that much easier to hear. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Do either of you have much memory of flypapers being hung in places? Yeah, I have a little bit of memory of it uh, hanging from the ceiling and being told, this is interesting to bring this up, that that was poison and it would kill me and to stay away from it and finding out years later that was just so I didn't touch the sticky stuff. But I remember being At terrified. At one point, flypaper did contain poison. Uh, you would have to consume a lot of it as a human being. But right. it might have been, depending on how old this person was, if it was a grandparent or something. It was a grandparent that yeah. also told me that eating cookie dough would give me dough worms. <laughs> So that I oh no! Eat, so that I wouldn't eat cookie dough. That's actually the sequel to Tanglefoot. Is dough worms? <laughs> I was curious because I remember flypaper being in my grandparents' house, but even in this production, the notion of flypaper being a little old-fashioned. Of like, do you remember flypaper? Do you? Yeah, because the story itself takes place in 1915, mm. and there's a horse. So I'm assuming this is horse and carriage. Yep. type of transportation and that is why flypaper was invented as far as i know because you had horses pooping all over the place attracting the flies mm-hmm. and really it wasn't even till the it was before this story but they didn't even have screen windows at first and there were just flies everywhere so there was a big boom in flypaper until cars were invented and then a lot of flypaper companies went out of business literally because there was a drop in flies when there wasn't horse manure everywhere that is fascinating thanks cliff that is seriously (laughs) that is a fascinating piece of trivia did we discuss this any further how do we that's a high note (laughs) but i mean that's what i think cooper was hearkening back to yeah i mean in the 1940s he was probably at least in his 40s when he was writing this so he was remembering his childhood and uh, I, they were plumbers, right? Yes. That much you heard correctly. Well, what I'm getting at is that everything I say today is going to be right, because I don't <laughs> want to, like, that's what I heard. Uh, but <laughs> I was struck by 1915 plumbers. When, and I didn't look it up or anything, because that would have required effort. Uh, <laughs> You're too busy on the EQ. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I, it was interesting to me because if you ask me point blank, when did indoor plumbing become so standardized in housing that plumbing became a profession? I would have guessed past 1915. I would too, actually. I would think like 20s, 30s. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, I mean, it existed in you know, nicer houses. I know houses. it existed, but just as a... Uh, as any given house, you'd expect to have it. Right. And as a profession that was 
mandatory. We need plumbers now. They were dealing with furnaces, though, a lot, too. Mm. Not all just uh, indoor plumbing in the story. So when Most were of furnaces invented? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the history podcast. Well, back in 1915, they were burning horses to keep the houses warm. <laughs> ah, therefore, flies. Yes. yes. And lots of glue. Right. About the story, and I do want to pudding. call out Cooper's amazing ability to start a script with a great opening line that hooks you in, that does multiple things at once. And that line here is the, back in the old days when GI didn't mean general issue, it meant galvanized iron, I used to be a plumber. Mm -hmm. So it sets this as a story being told in the post-war era about a pre-war era it gives you a little hint of this guy's historical perspective mm-hmm. and occupation and gives mm-hmm. you personality and information immediately yeah. i also love about that opening monologue is that radio doesn't usually attempt to use a sense of smell to create theater of the right. mind and yeah smell is a very powerful mnemonic device for remembering mm-hmm. things and picturing things and taking you places. So I'm actually surprised it's not done more often, right? And him going into this long list of the smells, the creosote or the oils and that galvanized iron had a smell right. and the great descriptions of the smell of flypaper, yep, varnish with sugar in it, like slightly off taffy. that was just really evocative i could smell that and then we go into this whole thing about the summer and the heat and there are flies Mm -hmm. and there's heat from the furnace where they're working and it's oppressive about five or six minutes in where i can feel all this in a really powerful way whenever we talk about historically how things were like you just described or you know manure everywhere and so there were flies or uh, how oppressive the heat was and how difficult it was, and there were no screen doors. Okay, so that's just this story. But anytime you go in the past and, you, and you, someone puts the truth to, well, this is what the Old West would have been like. This is what a, uh, medieval Europe would have been like. You know, when you mm-hmm. get down to the non-romanticized movies of it, literally we were throwing poop out the windows, you know. And uh, <laughs> every time, like just now, and I realize, oh, I would be so miserable and I would die in the past quickly i love thinking about someone in the future looking back on us now like how did they manage i think about that too like what is it that we're doing right now they're like wow that would have been so hard they didn't have ai they had to do podcasts themselves (laughs) (laughs) they would just sit for hours and talk into microphones until their throats were parched (laughs) i think about smoking inside Mm mm-hmm when we were growing up and it was fine, you know, that's what people did. And we look at it and go, wow, what a, wow, that's crazy. I, so I, weird. I wonder what weird thing we're doing right now that I sometimes think it's going to be the Christmas tree. They cut them, they brought them inside and put things <laughs> on them. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. I heard someone on a podcast say that one of the things that will date science fiction terribly very soon is all the sci-fi stories that involve cracking down on space drugs right like the idea that at some point when drugs are most of them legal which i think there will come a time yeah probably uh, people will be like 
that was ridiculous that they assumed that they would still be fighting a drug war in right. the far-flung future. That's interesting. Because I laugh when I read 1950s sci-fi and they're still smoking cigarettes, right, in a right. rocket ship. <laughs> right. <laughs> They've got like an ashtray on the <laughs> cockpit. I My favorite old-time sci-fi stuff, though, is any B-movie where they take off and they're standing up or sitting in a recliner. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to this. So uh, explain to me one thing. This is something I did miss. How did he breed the fly? Did he say what he was feeding it or how he made the fly so Very big? ambiguous. Okay, so it was yes. ambiguous. All right. It's one of the things I really enjoy about this story is how ambiguous that is. Yeah, it is a, a sort of natural uh, gradation of he's telling a story about it and like it's a joke. It's a... A made-up story, and like, no, it seems more real. And it's, it's not even he just springs them out of the blue. It's, it's not clear how long he's been working on this big fly. And then the other question I had is, am I correct that the Chapel character never did see the fly? Uh, not till the very end. Did he see it at the end? Yes. Yeah. Okay. After it killed Louise. Right. Uh, you know, I didn't quite catch if he had seen the fly or not. So it left me with this interesting take on this story that i kind of like i wish it was like this that he never saw the fly so maybe herbie actually killed louis you know like maybe the whole fly was made up but no so that's not a discussion <laughs> now that we know he saw the fly it is interesting that this is i don't know why heads he into saw the it. fly i guess, I guess he'll, he'll die, die. <laughs> <sighs> um this gets into a sort of horror we don't often get in radio at all of just the grotesquerie and strangely for me, it linked it to the Cronenberg version of the movie The Fly. Yep. Which I don't know if either of you, yep. both of you have seen that. Which only enhanced it, made it even more disgusting for me. If like, uh, it's, it's going to vomit on her. Oh, it's going to be really <laughs> nasty. Uh, yes, they do leave a lot of how The Fly kills its victims to and eats them to your imagination. But since we are in the far-flung future, people like, Cronenberg <laughs> supplied the imagery for us. Thanks, right. David Cronenberg. Yeah. Again. I also want to point out how Cooper meanders through the beginning of this story, setting the tone, and then even acknowledging, and it's a very muddy part of the recording. I had to go back like three times, so if, if someone didn't catch it, that's why I want to um, underscore it. He gets the point after he's described... Uh, them working in the sun and talking about flies and deciding whether they want boiled ham or ice cream at his mom's house. And then it cuts back to Buck, the narrator, speaking to this unheard listener and says, did you ever hear something start so easy and simple and not meaning nothing? <laughs> so I thought it was great because just to the point where I was like, I wonder what's actually going to happen here. <laughs> Will he, something happen? He acknowledged that, well, wait, this seems unimportant. And that's also why I enjoy that we don't get anything really specific about how the fly was developed. Yeah. We just know that there's a, a leap in time. And at some previous time, Herbie was seemed really obsessed with flies. And had an interest in, I want a big fly. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right. Ultimately, I think Cooper knows that any real explanation of how this fly became big is really meaningless. It's a bunch of hand-waving techno babble. 
Right. Like, so why right. spend story time on it? He's more interested in setting the mood than going, there was a mad scientist with an enlarge array, which I That's might, might really... the fly got so big. <laughs> might please Eric. <laughs> you saw my face. I wish the listener could see my face. My eyes got wide. Ooh, enlarge array. <laughs> but again, it goes back to something a little more biological and visceral where the horror comes from that he, this guy somehow figured out how to just breed flies and keep getting them well, bigger was, and fatter naturally somehow that's just just like i want to find the biggest fly and i've been looking for it okay i've got a big fly i want to find a bigger fly yeah now i found the biggest fly and then you know introducing two big flies on a blind date yeah putting on some music, putting on some music. <laughs> strangers in the nun <laughs> Make a bigger fly. For as restrained as we have often said, quiet please is with their foley. When they finally got to, we're going to make a big fly noise. That was really creepy. (laughs) Absolutely. There's just so many great authenticating details throughout this. Just every time they go on a job, it was like Mrs. Jiminy or whoever who was like, I have to get to it chicken pie dinner at the christian church and i've got devil's food cake to you know and he's making fun of her and it just feels like homey and small town like and quaint and then there's the giant fly murders and it's just (laughs) right perfectly executed in that way also say i have threaded pipe previously in my life so every time they're talking about threading pipe i was excited like i have threaded pipe (laughs) let's thread some pipe I'm not having the right reaction to this show. I clearly... <laughs> <laughs> Let's thread some fight. Well, what other thoughts do we have, gentlemen? The very ending. The tone is so weird. Yeah. In contrast to the rest of the show. And it's not like it's not right. It's not appropriate, but it's just so weird and different. Including the sort of clownish giant man paper scenario of did you need a sticky floor to catch somebody? There's two of you. You could have just hit me with a a threaded pipe. Right. I like it metaphorically. It's just a weird tone shift. You know, intellectually in the moment right now, I agree with you, but it just never struck me in the moment of listening to it. So Cooper got away with it. Um, Yeah. Even if I can't really argue with you as a tone shift, but I think... If I were to defend it in the moment, I would say that it helps to create that feeling that they have become co-conspirators and that uh, Buck, the narrator, has caught Herbie's like obsession with all things flies and has this almost, again, I guess what you're pointing out, almost super villain obsession with flies now, like a Batman villain. Yeah. I am now the fly villain, so I'm going to have giant man-sized flypaper to catch people with but i feel like it earns it even if it's sudden yeah it, it might like the metaphor carries the mechanics are weird right <laughs> uh, but i'm gonna go back to my uh, flypaper trivia uh, i was reading more about flypaper and they just used to not be manufactured in bulk when it was first created it would you just go to the drugstore and they would literally make it up some sheets oh, wow. of flypaper, which might make the man paper seem less absurd uh, because they would just be making up their own homemade giant flypaper. <laughs> like vats, so you just stick paper in it and take it home? Well, it wouldn't have to be that huge. For, now I'm really thinking about how big this flypaper would be to keep a man stuck to it. <laughs> yep. 
I also enjoyed the really uncomfortable scene where Buck is teasing Herbie about, oh, he wants to be alone with the new girl in town. Um, <laughs> because it is so clear at that point that something horrible is about to happen so that his teasing becomes ominous and you're almost like, shut right. up. <laughs> shut up and just go look for her. <laughs> right? Yes. She's being eaten by a fly. <laughs> Then it's rubbing its face like a cat. For some reason, that was really disturbing, and it should be kind of cute. There was a references to how beautiful the fly was with all its eyes and everything. And that was coming from Chapel. Mm-hmm. Like, the character had gotten on board with the fly infatuation. Speaking of which, I thought that was a great, surprising twist moment when we first hear Herbie's voice present with Chapel as he's talking to this unheard oh, yeah. person, that yeah, he's yeah. there that entire time. And that's where you know, oh, they're going full thing on the Forbo board here. <laughs> <laughs> right. This person is going to die. And you identify with this person, obviously, as a listener. So it's a great trick. Yes, Cooper has used it before, because um, I think this was after thing on the Forbo board. But also, in this time and place, radio was assumed to be pretty ephemeral. They yeah. broadcast it once. And that was last year. Who's going to remember that? No one has a recording of it. So if you had a really great story twist, why not reuse it again? There's no documentation of it. (laughs) Can't prove I've done this. (laughs) Right. That's an interesting uh, thing to keep in mind is the record of what we've done has drastically changed. And the ability for fans to instantly catalog all the shows and share them online. Spend their lives meticulously scrutinizing Well, should we vote? Yeah, speaking of scrutinizing. I'll start. Here's one thing that's important about Quiet Please for me. It doesn't matter which Quiet Please we listen to. I'm always enjoying it for one reason. And that is Cooper was absolutely right in his choice of plucking Chapel out of the thin The announcer's chair. Out of the announcer's chair and putting him in this role in that he's quite the genius in understanding Chapel's delivery, voice, uh, and performance ability is just enthralling. It's so connecting. You just connect to him no matter what episode you're listening to. I want to hear his voice. So consequently, every Quiet Please has this. Yes, it was good, even if I hated it, because (laughs) I could just listen to that guy tell a story. In the realm of, did I like this particular story as opposed to other Quiet Please stories? Here we go. Sam's going to be mad. It was fine. I didn't find it particularly scary. I'll tell you what's scary, Sam. Cinnamon Bear. (laughs) (laughs) For other reasons. Uh, But as you said, Joshua, the dialogue is evocative about smells and where we are and everything is theater of the mind it's all there it's just for me uh eh, flies yeah flies hey eh, made a big one now it's super big and it's killing someone is just fine for a story <laughs> it's not that oh cool to me it's yeah cool does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah so I think it stands a test of time for sure. I think all Quiet Please does, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it doesn't matter because that guy can tell a great story, period. 
and that just has to be said that I don't think there is a bad quiet place because of chapel. Yeah, the term world building is usually used in relation to science fiction and fantasy, but I think it, especially after hearing this, it struck me that it should be used more in the horror genre as well, because to Eric's point, I found the giant fly trope to be really creepy and disturbing here, and that is because it intrudes upon a world that feels very real and tangible and relatable. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it goes to Cooper's world building and his really relentlessly inventive way he approaches storytelling even when he takes something that is a b-movie trope like giant killer insects Mm -hmm. he usually finds a way to tell it in some very idiosyncratic or unconventional way that keeps the comforting familiar quality to the trope but makes it fresh right again and that's what i really appreciate i would agree and so i think it's a classic for me because i I've been listening to a lot of old-time radio over the last couple of years. <laughs> Imagine that. And I am struck when I hear something that makes me think about radio storytelling in a different way, and particularly his use of smell in this and yep. his use of the seasons passing to create this really, again, tangible sense of environment. It, was just, it just made me think of new ways to create theater of the mind. So yep. classic for me. Um, one, I compulsively, again, to bring back Cronenberg, at the end of this thought in my head of, in Jeff Goldblum's voice, sorry, that was gross. <laughs> and then once I'd heard the whole thing was thinking in terms of if I had never heard any quiet please before, if I never knew any context and just heard this episode, it would blow my mind. The only thing that makes it sort of me not proselytizing about this is the fact that I've heard other quiet pleas that I know like there are many stories that are of this sort of quality of storytelling that is so revolutionary continues to be revolutionary and grounded and thoughtful so I I put it in that context and and then get to the point of like well the ending is a little bit different and and (laughs) it's by comparison but I I guess I would call it a classic too because it's so Big and weird and... Big and weird like a giant fly. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. Yes. And it's crawling around my head. (laughs) And it's going to vomit on me. So, classic. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. (laughs) Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You can uh, listen to other podcasts there. That we Well, our one podcast. We have the one podcast there. <laughs> you can listen to other episodes of that podcast. You can leave comments. Yeah, be really specific about that. Yes. <laughs> I get angry emails. Where's my other podcast? It's coming. It might be coming. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you can leave comments. You can vote in polls. You can threaten us, challenge us to question our fortitude in listening to radio episodes. Um, you can link to our social media pages. You can link to our Threadless store by Swag, or you can link to Patreon. Yes, go to patreon.com slash themorals, where you will find our other podcast, one you have to pay for. But it's worth it. We have lots of spin-off 
old time radio podcasts for patrons to listen to. We have mm-hmm. Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio, where we get into some of the weird stuff. We have <laughs> uh, sh- it's a secret. <laughs> we do an uh, semi regular series called Cliffhangers of Doom, where we discuss serials, and then we also do B sides of the Mysterious Old Radio, which is something connected to an episode of the main podcast um, in a sort of tangential way. In fact, gentlemen, we are going to be doing a B-sides to this episode of the podcast. We fly will, side. <laughs> a fly side, where we will be listening to episodes one and two of The Cinnamon Bear, inspired oh, by Sam. So if you no. become a patron... You will find our discussion of Cinnamon Bear episode uh, one and two. I'm so thanks, scared. Thanks, Sam. Garah! <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if you'd like to see us performing live, you can do that by uh, going to ghoulishdelights.com and seeing where we perform. We perform classic old radio dramas and recreate them, audio drama on stage, or. And frequently, uh, we do a lot of our own original work as well. You can find out where the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company is performing audio drama every month by going to ghoulishdelights.com and you'll find out where we're performing, what we're performing that month, and what day. Uh, And if you can't be there in person to see us, well, if you're a Patreon, you get to watch it because that's part of your deal. You get the uh, video recording of it, right? Is that still a thing? That's okay. still a thing. That's right. Okay, just making sure. I'm just guessing. I don't really know what goes on. <laughs> it is part of your deal. It's part of your deal. <laughs> what's coming up next? Next is your choice, oh. not knowing what's going on. Oh, right, because uh, it's the holidays, and uh, so we wanted to do something holiday Christmassy, and we're going to be listening to an episode of Suspense called Back for Christmas. Until then... Available now at patreon.com slash the morals B-sides of the mysterious old radio Featuring the cinnamon bear parts one and two And here's the cinnamon bear Teddy Bear. Did you hear him, Judy? Did you hear him? He growled at me. Oh my God, I want that 30 minutes back. (laughs) (laughs) You made the Superman cereals look like a layered onion. Well, that makes this embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I really loved it. Did you? (laughs) This is so much fun. (laughs) We're going right down in Looking Glass Valley. Yes, and I can see our reflection coming up to meet us. Whee! Oh, gee! Oh, oh, Jimmy! Judy! Oh, 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 my! Here's another thing I didn't know. I had no idea you used to live in Portland. I did for a couple years as a small, impressionable, cinnamon bear listening child. This is... This is all too much. <laughs> I was going to discuss these two episodes of The Cinnamon Bear, and now I've, I'm... It's gonna take a while. You lived in Portland? How do I not know that about you? Uh, why do you hide things from me? <laughs> oh, Jimmy, you're only about four inches high. Really? There. Now, the only thing you children have to do to be small is to see yourselves that way. Go ask Judy. 
when she's four <laughs> inches small. <laughs> and then they get in the Jefferson airplane. <laughs> <It's> like, wow! <laughs>